Hey folks, welcome to the House of Kraus. I'm Richard Kraus. I kind of keep things going around here. I rake the leaves. I make sure that the pool is chlorinated so you don't get any nasty diseases in the grotto when you go for a dip. Most of all though, I talk to interesting people. And this week we have two really interesting men stopping by uh, to inform and enlighten you. Well, inform a little bit, enlighten you, who knows. Wait till the end of the show and see what you think. First up, Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston, you know, is Walter White from Breaking Bad. If you don't know him from that, you know him from Malcolm in the Middle, or maybe you saw him on Broadway recently. Either way, one of the most acclaimed actors of his generation. Right now, in theaters, he has a movie called Trumbo. Now, he plays a real-life guy named Dalton Trumbo, who was an Academy Award-nominated screenwriter when his political beliefs saw him drummed out of Hollywood's inner circles, reducing him to writing scripts for B-movies like The Alien and The Farm Girl. Now, there's an upswing to this story, but you're going to have to either pick up a history book or go see the movie Trumbo to figure out what it is. Uh, he plays the lead role in a supporting role, Michael Stuhlbarg. Now, you know him from uh, movies like Steve Jobs, Pawn Sacrifice, he was on Boardwalk Empire, uh, Hitchcock, he played Lou Wasserman in that movie. In Trumbo, he plays Edward G. Robinson. And very tricky role for him because he's playing another real-life character, someone that a lot of people knew, a lot of people idolized, but he gets into a kind of a sticky situation in this film when it looks like he turns on his friends, on his colleagues in the American Communist Party and names names to a Senate committee. Fascinating role, fascinating guy. Michael Stuhlbarg, let's start there and then we'll get to Brian Cranston in just a little while. Is there a responsibility that you feel to him, to the family, to whoever may still remember Edward G. Robinson, or is it a part on a page and that's what you bring to it? I feel a responsibility, absolutely. Um, if someone were telling my story, I'd want them to consider yeah. everything and uh, uh, to be truthful and honest. And I, I learned as much about him as I could and uh, really... You know, I did think about that. I did think about uh, his remaining f family members out there, and uh, I guess I would want them to know that uh, I read as much as I could, and that it's been an honor to play him and uh, to learn about his life. And um, I have a whole new respect for him that uh, and a whole new wealth of knowledge about him that I didn't have before. Well, let, let's talk about him a little bit because in some ways, he's not exactly the hero of this piece. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and But I wonder how it is that he managed to emerge a legend mm -hmm. from this and, and to this day very highly thought of. And people like uh, Ilya Kazan, not so much. Right. And how did that, why do you think that worked? And how, how did that happen? From what I can tell, um, Mr. Robinson went out of his way to clear the air in front of the HUAC committee voluntarily a number of times to just get set the record straight in terms of his own uh, record. He was uh, very politically active. He was a staunch, you know, liberal Democrat, uh, but had never joined the Communist Party and had often been lumped into groups of, of association uh, with the Communist Party. Um, 
and uh, and really it, it I was just speaking with uh, some of the other castmates about this uh, that it came to this one instance apparently where a, a very um, conservative publication had literally um, written an article that they insisted he sign his name to uh, uh, otherwise he wouldn't be able to work again mm -hmm. and uh, you know for people you know, I, I would I would uh, suggest if anyone is interested in Mr. Robinson's story that they seek out his autobiography because he goes into great detail about what he felt and what he was going through and the nightmare that that whole situation was um, I fear I'm getting away from the question. Well, well, we're, we're, but the, the question was, how has he emerged unscathed, see, but right. untouched by this, the whereas others was, haven't? Well, uh, what eventually happened was um, he ended up mentioning the names of people who, who had already been well-known communists, right. so he didn't reveal any new information. I don't know Mr. Kazan's story, right. uh, uh, but he's gotten you know a lot of attention mm -hmm. for what he did. Um, I would be curious to know more about it, and I have his autobiography at home, which I've intended to read for quite a while, uh, and I hope to get to that uh, soon. Um, but I think it may have had something to do with that. Eddie always endeared himself to to everyone. Mm -hmm. I think there was maybe there was some some. Uh, um, feeling attached to that. Uh, um, he was a very generous spirit and mm -hmm. would give, you know, the shirt off his back to anybody who asked for it and from what I can gather, yeah. uh, gave money to call almost every cause that asked him for it for years and... Sold paintings and you know, yeah. all that sort of thing to do so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was a, you know, a patriot and uh, believed in America having been foreign-born himself. Mm -hmm. and um, it, It's interesting because you do Yankee Doodle Dandy, you think of all those yeah. things, but so much of Hollywood weren't Americans. Yeah. The, the big wigs, anyway, the big shots. Yeah. Well, that they had come to America and become citizens themselves, immigrated or emigrated to, to, uh, to America and had sort of become part of the melting pot that America is. So I guess there you are as American as anybody. Well, well, I guess so. But see, what I've always thought about it yeah. uh, was that they were possibly more so because they came there by choice right. and it meant a lot to them to be there. Having experienced in other cultures, perhaps, that did not give them the same freedoms that they could have in America. Yeah, yeah so maybe they valued. I think Mr. Robinson is exactly of that ilk. Yeah. He uh, he valued being an American and exercised those those privileges regularly and understood them probably, yeah. as you suggest, in a deeper way than others may not who were just born here. Interesting, the idea that someone could say to you, "Well, you know what? You can never act again. You can, for my case, you can never write again." Yeah. I don't know how I'd respond. I'm not sure what I would do. Yeah. I'm not sure what I would do, and and I'd like to think that I would uh, take the high road, but man, I don't know. No, I don't either. Yeah. I don't either. Uh, it was a, a big part of his being, and the idea that he had worked so hard and so long to get to a certain place in his career where he got to play the kinds of roles he was capable of playing, and then to have all that... Uh, 
uh, lorded over him or, or, or to have affiliations lorded over him that were untrue. Uh, he, he really did everything he could to try to clear his name uh, and to inform people who he was, what he believed in. He just opened his whole life up mm -hmm. you know, when asked because he, he didn't want to hide anything. Uh, yeah, it was an impossible situation. It was an impossible situation. And you see, and I, I like this movie very much. And what I liked about it, you know, sometimes when you're looking at a situation that is so huge, it's just difficult, I mean, lots of moving parts. It's hard to understand something like the, the idea of the McCarthy trials and the HUAC and all that stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on, but you can apply this to almost any huge problem and situation. Uh, if a movie is made about it, if you focus down on one or two people and the humanity of those people and how it affects those people, it gives you, as a viewer, the doorway in to understand this almost impossibly big thing. Right. And that's what Trumbo does. That's what the film does. I've read about this, I know about that. I'm a film, I write about movies I did. This is something I know about. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I understand a little bit more about it now having seen the movie because I understand the personal cost, Louis C.K.'s character. Yeah. I understand I understand that in a, in, a, in a way that isn't academic or isn't, um, you know, facts and figures and all the things that you have to learn to, to understand the situation. I understand the humanity of it now. And that's an interesting way of telling the story I think I'm glad you know we don't see a lot of the trials I don't need to no, that stuff's out there it is it is out there but uh, no the um, the emotional cost that comes along with sticking to your guns about things uh, and how your peers uh, respond to some of the same pressures uh, wondering if you've made the right choice about certain instances and you know it, it, it's funny you see this film and I you know it's, it's obviously a period piece it's very much of a time uh, but you know you have to wonder like man in the world that we live in now it, it doesn't seem like too many steps away from people being told what and what not they can do yeah it's not it's not uh, terrifying as that is but it's a good reminder mm -hmm. to not take our, our good fortune for granted and um, to not be afraid to stand up for what our rights are and to protect them. Um, those are all good things to be reminded of. Yeah, no matter how loud or messy it gets. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. You know, that's kind of what America is. And that's something that is kind of a revelation to me. You grow up sort of thinking, okay, you pledge allegiance, you, uh, your flag looks like this. Uh, I took a lot for granted as a young person. Right. And, uh, it's not until I've gotten older that I've started to realize how alive democracy is or can be and that things only change if you participate mm -hmm. and you can participate and you should if it's important to you and it should be important because we don't get to see the other countries out there, the other cultures and uh, we have a lot more freedom which is a great responsibility and I think maybe Maybe this can explore that for people who don't think about it that much. That was Michael Stuhlbarg. You know him. You've seen him. You might not connect 
the face to the name, but if you saw a movie a few years ago called A Serious Man, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Maybe you saw him in Seven Psychopaths, maybe you saw him in Lincoln. He's a very busy working actor, and he's great in Trumbo as Edward G. Robinson. Brian Cranston has been picking up every acting award going, and who knows, maybe he'll be nominated for an Academy Award or a Golden Globe for his work playing Dalton Trumbo in the movie Trumbo. I'm not sure. I don't have second sight. I don't even have a crystal ball, but I do like this movie, and I really enjoyed talking to him about freedom of speech, about what that means, and then, of course, you got to ask a Breaking Bad question or two, which we do at the end. This is my chat with Brian Cranston. I've been thinking about this a great deal ever since I saw Trumbo. The idea that if someone just came to you and said, you can't act anymore, or you can't write anymore, or you can't do the thing that you do that feeds your family, that provides everything, the necessities of life for you, right. what would you do? You know, and, and I wonder, I, I, I have to wonder exactly what I would do. Is this something that played on your mind while you were reading the script and thinking about the playing Dalton Trumbo? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's the something that you would normally hear this conversation over the dinner table with friends, this hypothetical situation. What would you do if they subpoenaed you and they said, we want to know who else likes baseball? Who is it? You know, and whatever the case, you know, would you point the fingers at the other people who found joy enjoyment out of something, you know, or whatever the case is? In this case, politics. Who who else has theoretical opinions similar to yours or exactly like yours in the American Communist Party? Uh, and of course, I would love to think that I would be honorable and and not do it, but I have to be honest and say that's the hypothetical. I think I would be uh, resistant to that pressure and perhaps even pay the price to it. But do I know for sure? No, I don't think I do know for certainty because I'm not faced with it. Maybe it's more difficult now that you have found a huge amount of success and you're working at a much higher level. Maybe years ago, I read the recent Hollywood Reporter interview with you uh, where you had some lean times. Maybe then it might have been a little easier to go, you know what, I can leave that behind. Maybe now a little harder? Oh, certainly. You know, if you're, if you're set for life financially, your decisions are probably easier to make. It's like, I, I, I will tell you no, yeah. you know. Uh, but... Um, if you are just beginning, yeah, I mean, all conditions are, are different. Like, I, I don't want to now take a job for money. I take jobs because I'm attracted to them by the creative element to it or that it challenges me in some way. Um, and my agents are incentivized to work out the best deal they can. And, and I don't want to portray this idea that oh no, I'm just about the art. Uh, I've been poor and I've been rich and rich is better. Uh, so, you know, um, my wife and I have never had an argument over money at all. In, in lean times and in good? Never. We've never had a, an argument over money and we've been together almost 30 years now. So that, I think that contributes to that. You're finding common ground and like-minded 
um, ways to approach your life. Um, but I certainly understand those people who do find themselves in financial straits and how much stress that would put on a relationship. So people taking a job for money, I not only understand, I support it, that I, I wish I can give you the job. And I employ several people, but I wish I can give more people jobs, you know. In a way, I relate to Trumbo in that sense, because he's not really a communist. He's a member of the American Communist Party, of which he quit, and then joined again, and then quit again. Because he probably found, and there's evidence to this, it's the same amount of BS and posturing in that party as there are in any other political party. And I think he got tired of it. And what he was trying to find is probably a, a, a the perfect situation. And the truth is he wasn't a communist at all. He was a socialist. Mm -hmm. He loved being wealthy. He loved having wealthy things. He was a gadget guy. He got the very newest typewriter that came out. Anything and everything that came out, I need to have that. I want that. I want that car. Let's get that. And he spent money like, like there was no end to it. And consequently, he found himself in, in dire straits several times. Well, he was at one point the highest paid writer in Hollywood, dot, dot, dot. That means the world. And he had his own lake, we see yeah. in the film. Like, there were things. This was not what you think of when you think of your typical communist, I yeah. guess, or uh, of, the, of the moment. You say that you choose projects for uh, creative reasons, for the teams involved. What was it about Trumbo that brought you in? Well, the story itself is brilliant, and that's the first thing I look for, is the story and the script that supports the story, whether that's on stage or film, it doesn't matter. Um, and in this sense, it's really very simple. It's, it's battling for freedoms, expressive freedoms, uh, that, that Americans had, had fought for and had been persecuted for in their home countries, and it's not going to happen here, is the, is the, the pledge that under the First Amendment, you have the right to free speech. And Trumbo felt very strongly in that. He was a very big supporter and, and, and defender of the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and the government. Uh, but he, and he felt that it was un-American and unconstitutional for the House Un-American Activities Committee to hold these hearings and demand under threat of, of uh, contempt of Congress uh, that they answered these questions. So they had no right to even ask, ask the questions of, are you a member of a, of a union? Because you're trying to put me in a position, and if I am, are you or now, or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? Uh, and if, if so, to only save yourself, renounce it now, that you were wrong, and yet you will never do it again, and, you, you know, and tell us who else was a member. Give us names so that we can go after them. And it's, it's fundamentally wrong. And he felt that, that was, it was wrong and unconstitutional to be able to ask that question, just like it would be unconstitutional, to demand under the penalty of contempt of Congress who you voted for. Tell me what your religion is. Where do you practice? Who else is in your church? Who are the names of the people who voted for this candidate? I mean, it's, it's none of your business. Those are the freedoms. Those are the exact freedoms 
that were presented to the American people upon the, the, the Constitution, and they were, they were obliterating it. And so the relevancy to today's world is now in, in the ability by the government to just blatantly phone tap anyone they wish. No, there are checks and balances in place for just this reason. Get those checks and balances. Make sure that you're being um, confirmed and double-checked and make sure that we're, we're not impinging unnecessarily on people's freedoms. Do we have to be careful? We were attacked, yes. Absolutely we have, we have to. But the, we, what we are saying, what I am saying, is that the dialogue needs to be present, that the argument needs to be raised. It's not just, this is what we're doing, sit down and shut up or I'll send you to jail, which is what the situation was in Trumbo's case. What, what this film did for me, I write about films, I write books about film, this is what I do. <clears throat> and so I, I knew about this, I, I knew a fair amount about this, but I was uh, happy to see that this film wasn't simply recreations of the, the, the hearings. Mm. I've seen those, mm. we've all seen that. And I thought at the time when I was watching it that sometimes when you have an unimaginable story, something so massive and so far reaching, it almost boggles your mind. It's hard to understand the nuances of a case, but you personalize it. You bring it down to one person yeah. and that's your doorway into the story. Yeah. And, and I've read about Trumbo, I've written about Trumbo. I've, I've, I, I know the story, but this movie made me understand the personal cost, which I think is the thing, which is the key to understanding the whole thing. I agree with you. I agree with you. Sometimes if the cause is so big, we have a tendency to overlook the personal ramifications yeah. of it. And uh, our story talks about and shows you the, the damage done to the relationships in his family, his daughters and, and his wife and the testiness and the separation. Well, this was, was emblematic of what was going on in hundreds of households of blacklisted writers, producers, directors, and that sort of thing. Um, the, the tremendous stress that they were under, that they had no money. They were being evicted from their homes or their apartments. They were uh, having to go on, on government subsidy, or children were having to move and live with someone else while they're trying to get there. I mean, there were, families were broken up. Uh, even if it was temporarily, they're being split up, or marriages dissolved, suicides. Um, it, it's, and, and the stress, even if that wasn't happening, the stress of children going to school and being bullied and, and finger pointing, your daddy's a communist, your dad, and not even knowing what that means, but it must mean something bad, you know, and uh, uh, the, the, the lifelong effects that that could have on someone psychologically. And so. It's just, it's just an ugly situation all the way through. This film raises issues of free speech. We talked about that just uh, a few minutes ago. Free speech is something that is a very hot button topic in the newspapers right now. You can't turn on the news, either in your country or mine, without someone yelling about free speech. Uh, I think about Kentucky right now. I think about lots of things. This film is a reminder that it is a basic tenant we need to be able to exercise our free speech. But do you think that people now truly understand what free speech means? And by that I mean, I often think that people 
say, well, I have free speech, so I can say whatever the hell I want, whether it's hateful or whether it is wrong or whether it is whatever, whatever it is, and you have to accept it because I have free speech. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's the letter of the law. I don't think that's the essence of it. No, it isn't. I mean, uh, you know, many, many years ago, there was the, the distinction of your, your free speech has its limits. You can't go into a crowded theater and, and cry fire and, and put people's lives at risk. So there is a line to be drawn as far as what is free speech and what is detrimental to a society. Now that line is subjective though. I mean, in that case, it's not. It's clearly not. If there is no fire and you are just doing this for a joke, you can be you know, held accountable for this because lives are in danger. Um, but, but on the other side, you know, what, what, what is free speech? This woman in Kentucky who refused to, to file the marriage certificate of the same-sex marriage. Um, do I think she should have been sent to prison? No. I think that was probably an ill-informed idea. But there is a law that says this is the law of the land. And if she's in that position, she needs to first uphold the law and put her personal uh, feelings aside or leave that job. Those are her options. That's what's really happening there. Um, I, I also heard uh, your prime minister was, was uh, oppressing yeah. news about uh, climate or fracking and that climate change, climate, anything, any scientists who were talking about that? He's very anti-science. That and and yeah, and there has been, which is not the Canadian way. This is not how we behave in this country. And there's been a sea change in the last, well, eight years uh, toward this kind of thing, which is, you know, I, I, I don't want to call it this, but sort of a more American style of politicking that, that, that we see on the news here. Yeah. Uh, and maybe it's not actually true. Maybe we see it in movies. I don't know where we see it, but it seems to be happening in real life here in this country, and it never has before. Well, I hope that's not the case. Uh, I, I don't wish upon yeah. the American style of, of politicking in, in Canada. Um, but if this is what's really happening by your prime minister, it, it sounds like you need a new prime minister. I think we've, we're about to get one. Uh, we just have a minute left. I was at a fan expo working the other day, and uh, there were uh, effigies of you everywhere. In the world, little burning effigies. No, no, they were not on fire. They were for sale for fans. How strange is it? Is it strange? Sure, sure it's very strange. Yeah. You know, it's like it's it's odd. I, I like to go up to people I see on the street wearing uh, Heisenberg shirts and things like that, and I go, "Nice T-shirt," and I whisper it to them, and they look at me, and their eyes go wide, and I just put my finger to my lips, like, "Don't tell anybody," and I walk away, and I and I know that they're gonna say. Oh, he just came out and they go, oh, bull, he didn't come up to you. Know, oh, you liar. You know, it's just kind of fun. I got that idea from uh, Bill Murray. Bill Murray told me, he said he goes into a restaurant and he'll walk by a table and he'll see French fries or potato skins or something. And he'll just go in and reach and take some. And they, they're all mouth agape looking at him like, and he goes, no one will believe you. <laughs> and he just walks away. That's awesome. It's fun. Yeah. Well, that's it, folks. I've got chores to do. You guys have to take off, get out of here, give me time to mop the floors, and get ready for next week when you're all invited back. 
Uh, be sure to tell everybody, be sure to come back next Monday. We put a new episode of the House of Krauss up every single Monday, and you never know who'll stop by for a visit. So this week, I want to thank Michael Stuhlbarg. I want to thank Brian Cranston. But most of all, I want to thank you for coming by to visit.